0: Right, today we come to Hebrews chapter 5. This chapter begins an argument that will continue and build for the next many chapters all the way through chapter 10, really, about proving how Jesus is a, a better high priest than those in the Old Covenant. Actually, the, the, the argument that Jesus is a greater high priest will mainly be in chapters 5, 6, and 7 and conclude in chapter 8. But this begins a, a broader argument that will go through chapter 10. Uh, This chapter reminds us, chapter 5, reminds us early that the main function of a priest is, as he puts it in verse 1, to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Well, over the next several chapters, the author of Hebrews is going to show convincingly how if these believers uh, turn away from Christ and turn to Judaism, they will be leaving the only priest who can truly bring them to God and provide forgiveness of their sins. This chapter just begins the argument, so we'll say more about this in chapters to come. For today, let's take a look at a couple of other noteworthy items in it. Uh, There's an interesting statement found in verse 9. It's referring to Jesus and to Jesus' perfect obedience to God the Father throughout his earthly life and ministry. And it says of Jesus in verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's interesting because Jesus himself said repeatedly things like John 3.16. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John opens his gospel in John 1.12 saying, To all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Or the apostles urged people repeatedly throughout the book of Acts, for example, Acts 16, 31, to believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Paul promised in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Summing it up, Paul said in Ephesians 2:8, by grace you have been saved through faith. So, With faith and belief being the biblically undeniable way we apprehend the salvation offered to us in Christ, what then are we to make of the fact that the author of Hebrews says here in in verse 9 that eternal salvation is offered to all who obey him? What does that mean? Well, at least two things help us make sense of this kind of language. First, We need to realize or remember that the gospel is not merely an invitation. It's not merely an invitation, uh, but rather a summons. Hear me on that and and think carefully through the distinction of those two words. The, The gospel is not merely an invitation to us. It's a summons to us. Consider what Paul says in Acts 17 verse 30. He says, quote, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands, he commands all people everywhere to repent. He doesn't merely invite us. He commands us. Put differently, he summons that we come repenting and believing. Seen that way, the act of believing is itself obeying the command of God. Unbelief. Is disobedience belief is obedience. A second way of considering what Hebrews five nine uh, says when it talks about salvation coming to those who obey Him is recalling that this is not the only passage to speak in this way. Uh, see, for example, Romans ten sixteen, or perhaps most significantly, Jesus' own declaration in in the in the uh, Great Commission. That making disciples includes teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. As the reformer Martin Luther famously said, and we have mentioned it in a previous podcast, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. By that he meant that, yes, we are saved by faith in Christ alone. But truly saving faith is always accompanied by a genuine heart and life transformation that includes a desire and effort to live in obedience to the word of God. So it is true. Eternal salvation is all, is granted to all who obey him. Hebrews 5, 9. We obey him by believing in his gospel and repenting of our sins. And we obey him as our saving faith bears the inevitable fruit of increasing Christ-likeness. This is a good and important word and concept. One that deserves careful consideration if we would learn what it means to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, secondly and finally... Almost as soon as the author has finished that thought, uh, he stops himself because he feels that he needs to to issue a mild rebuke to them. He says in verse 11, about this, that is what we've just been talking about, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For since by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the, again the basic principles and of the oracles of God. You need you need milk, not solid food. That's verses eleven and twelve. This exhortation really explains itself, and it doesn't require much elaboration. So I'll simply say that this rebuke is just as relevant today, in the in the church as it as it was then. There are so many professing Christians in the church who, as he puts it, have become dull of hearing. Part of the reason is because as a, as a sponge can only soak up so much water unless you squeeze it out. Uh, so a Christian can only advance so far in the truth uh, unless they begin to put the, that, that truth into practice in daily life. See verse 14 where maturity is achieved through constant practice. Don't be constant to just come and soak. The next step in growth is not always another Bible study. Sometimes it's just obedience to what you already know. Just a few thoughts from Hebrews chapter 5.